For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Believe in Astros podcast on the Believe Podcasting Network. This is your co-host, Jeff Balky, along with good buddy, former Astro, former major leaguer, the current broadcasting partner on the Astros, and uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Jeff Blum. Blummer, how are you doing? I know you're coming to us from Chicago during the White Sox series. How is life in Chicago these days? Uh, oddly enough, it's very good. You know, this is the perfect pocket of summer that uh, I think every Chicagoan puts up with their, you know, sub-freezing temperature and wind chill off right. the lake to uh, to endure. But yeah, not to rub anything in, but it is 75 <laughs> to 80 degrees, sunny, cool. no humidity. It's gorgeous outside, great baseball weather, good uh, good tourist weather too. Oh my goodness. Well, you know, I mentioned yesterday that uh, I told you to have an Italian beef sandwich for me. I don't know if you've watched uh, the, the the series The Bear on Hulu, um, but it's set in Chicago. Uh, like it's basically based on this the idea of this chef who's a very talented, up and coming chef who goes back home to Chicago to take over his brother's restaurant after his brother dies, and it's like an Italian beef restaurant he's trying to make it better every time i watch it i'm like i want to fly to chicago just to have one of those sandwiches <laughs> it's unbelievable they've got some killer food up there for sure it's they no, do the, the no italian doubt. sandwiches are great uh we're we're so close to rush street where there's so many good restaurants but oh, you know, right. to be brutally honest i am a sucker for deep dish pizza and are you really Oh my gosh! Yeah, there's a Giordano's right next door to the hotel that I that I cannot resist. Even with my wife texting me and calling me saying "Don't do it," but uh, you know, when in Chicago, you do Chicago things like the Italian right. uh, beef sandwich, and then uh, obviously the deep dish pizza is pretty good too. Don't let any New Yorkers hear you say that. Uh, the, uh, they've had enough of us anyways. <laughs> I, if it pisses them off, let's go. Yeah, exactly. No <laughs> doubt about it. Well, we're two games deep into this series with the Sox. A couple of pretty disappointing losses. Uh, late inning uh, heroics by the White Sox. Of course, they have more to play for at the moment. They're fighting for a division uh, win themselves. And the Astros still 11 games up on the Mariners and, and still leading as the Yankees, speaking of New York, continue their circling the drain uh, surprisingly, I mean, a team that was supposed to win 120 games this year is now just free falling. Um, I wanted to ask you about a call uh, that Dusty made to pull Jose Urquidy out of the game. Um, after 94 pitches, he had been dominant through seven and two thirds innings. They pull him out. I kind of wonder, like Rafael Montero did not look great the night before. Um, he's a guy that has pitched more innings, I think, already than he's ever pitched in a season of his career. You had Ryan Stanek held, you know, in the bullpen and on three days rest. What, what are your thoughts on sort of how that unfolded and and sort of you know the the end result? 
It, it, it's a tough call. Obviously, managing a ball game is very tough, yeah. but that was really a situation that I think uh, lended itself to Dusty admitting after the game that you know he was at fault right there taking Urquidy out of the game, which I do appreciate you know, some of the honesty uh, of understanding the situation. I don't understand. I think there was rumors of a pitch count on Urquidy. I didn't understand mm. that. And even given the pitch count, he had one hitter to get. And it right. was Andrew Vaughn who he abused in the you know yeah. three previous at bats, soft exactly. contact, a couple of punch outs, and right. there's a couple of things going into that whole situation. Just if you're sitting on that manager's seat, you're looking at a pitcher who's been dealing. You watch the velocity. Urquidy actually had a little bit of an uptick later in that game he where he did. got to 94, 95 consistently. Yeah. So I was kind of saying, okay, he's strong, he's feeling good, he's in a great pocket. He gave up a cheap base hit. That was a soft contact, slow roller that Bregman yeah. couldn't pick up. So you got A.J. Pollock on first base. The worst case scenario is Andrew Vaughn hits a home run and ties the game up. Right. That would have sucked, but at the same time, that was the worst case scenario. And right. I think letting him finish would have done a lot for his confidence. I think it would yeah. have done great confidence for the team also. You would have only had to have used Ryan Presley to finish off that game, and you kind of ride off into the sunset knowing you won the first game heading into a Dylan Cease-Justin Verlander matchup. Right. So yeah, that's where my head was kind of at. You know, worst case scenario, was he, you know, was Dusty trying to avoid that, or yeah. was he trying to give Urquidy the opportunity? And I felt like at that time, to your point, with Montero having a rough outing the night before, what's my better option? You know, that's the old Larry Durker uh, philosophy is, <laughs> Is the guy on the mound better than my option in the bullpen? And I think right. Rikidi was the better option. Yeah, and, and and the thing to me, too, is when you look at it, I kind of am wondering, like, with the bullpen, obviously right now, best ERA in baseball, same thing with the with the uh, starting lineup. you got to wonder if they're starting to get a little fatigued. I mean, we are getting mm-hmm. – we are in the middle of the dog days of summer for baseball. You know, I mean – People talk about what what was it like? I mean, going through mid August. I mean, it had to have been like everybody's like baseball. It's the greatest game of the world. You get to play it every day. It must be fun. But when you're playing in the heat and it's going, and especially the Astros are on what game twenty of twenty one days or something crazy mm-hmm. like that because of this condensed schedule. It's gotta it's gotta wear on you, right? Absolutely. And you had an all-star break later in the season. They were a good 90-plus games in before you got that all-star break. Then that that. all-star break is condensed like you're talking about. You only had three days off, uh, so there is a little bit of exhaustion. The crazy crazy thing about the dog days is, you know, your body's taken a beating. You've conditioned yourself to get to this point in the season, but it's that mental fatigue because not only are you trying to get mentally prepared to perform at the highest level in baseball, you're trying to face the Dylan Ceases in the middle of August. You're trying to, uh, you know, compete put up numbers and continue the sustained excellence that you've had throughout the course of the season but now in the back of your mind you're going dude my body is dragging how do I get out of bed (laughs) if if I get this many hours of sleep will I be will it be enough how many Advil do I have to take today those kinds of questions start to seep into your head and that's where some of that mental fatigue makes that physical fatigue that much greater too so that's kind of where these guys are at I'm with you in the sense that some of these guys have been used frequently and aggressively, they've been very good, but there is going to be that little hiccup, and we might be in the middle of that right now. Yeah, and I, it's funny too. You talk about the Advil. I, you know, I saw a video the <laughs> other day of some woman saying, you know, you know how you know you're getting to a certain age is you have kitchen Advil and you have bathroom Advil and you have living oh, yeah. room Advil. You know, it's like that's kind of the thing. It's like and readers and Advil, exactly, one hundred percent. And I, so I feel like I feel for these guys because I know they're going through it. I. When does that sort of – does the mental – obviously the mental sharpness starts to come back as you get a little closer to the postseason. Um, 
how about well, how do these guys take care of themselves physically during that time to make sure they are ready? You know, when the when the mental acuity starts to come back. I think that's where this game has changed completely because now you're traveling with nutritionists, you're traveling with wow. you know two, three strength coordinators, you've got uh, you know your training staff is making sure that uh, everything that you're taking into your body is helping you get through these days. So there's a lot more uh, resources, a lot more assets that these guys have access to, and I know that there's data anal- or health analytics yeah. now that help these guys. If they're in the red, they're going to get that day off, try and recoup a little bit. And I know that the coaching staff tries to do their best to give these guys a full day off so that they can unplug physically and mentally. But a lot of it's on these guys to get in the gym, work out, maintain that muscle because it starts to deteriorate a little bit. But you know, you're talking about when you get to the end of uh, August and you realize you're turning into that last month, and especially a team like the Astros, they start to see the light at the tunnel. They start to see the purpose in the season that they've had. And I think that's where this clubhouse is a little bit different because you have veterans in there who have been through this process and they kind of rub off on some of those younger guys saying, okay, we've worked this hard to get here. Let's close this thing out. It's how we finish and uh, clinch that game, pop some champagne, and then start looking for the postseason. Yeah, and it's interesting too. You're starting to see that some of that fatigue come off in you know, and just injuries as well. I mean, yeah, Jordan does not seem right right now. I feel it seems mm-hmm. like that wrist was probably bothering him a little bit. Um, of course, we saw Diaz get a, you know this groin injury last last night, which didn't look very good. Any have you heard mm-hmm. anything on that at all? Uh, nothing yet. Just the post game yeah. comments. You know, uh, Dusty came out and kind of made it sound like it was going to be an injury list, uh, you know, type move mm-hmm. to let him recoup that. And then you hear Oledmus Diaz saying he's going to wait until he wakes up today. Kind of tightened up on him a little bit. So, you know, I have a tendency to trust the player a little bit. You know, yeah. managers and in front office can be a little more <laughs> more. Uh, <laughs> It's not negative, but they can be a little more concerned than the player is. Sure. The player wants to see on the field. So, but Oledmus is going to give you an honest opinion. And fortunately, they're in a position with that big lead to be able to give these guys breaks. Right. But considering that Brantley got hurt, that they oh. didn't make a trade for the outfielder during that trade deadline, leaves me a little bit concerned about who they would replace him with and some of that outfield depth. Yeah, you know, I heard uh, J- James Click talking on the pre- on the pregame show. I guess it was on Sunday saying that one of the reasons they picked up Trey Mancini was because he hits lefties and righties roughly the same. Uh, that e- mm-hmm. Even though they're losing that left-handed bat in Michael Brantley, they've got a guy who can hit against righties even though he's batting right-handed. But, you know, you, you, they start to build up a little bit. You know, you start to have the injury to Brantley, you, have, you know, the, who's now done for the season. You've got Diaz. You've got Jordan is not quite 100%, you know. And, and then, of course, you've got Jeremy Pena, who's going through the rookie wall, I'm sure, at some point. You know, the guy's yeah. playing more games now than he's probably ever played in his entire life. And as I said last night on Twitter to somebody, I said, listen, as good as Jeremy Pena is, he's still a rookie. And, you know, rookies are going to go through these things, and that's just kind of part of it. You just hope that these guys start to bounce back at the right time. Now, they are getting some time off in September. You know, they've got quite a few days off, actually, in September, which is... Which is a rarity, right? I mean, to have completely. To have, I mean, really strange that they bunched up all of these days off at the end of the season. They can't be a bad thing. 
No, that's a great thing. You just taught. We, I mean, we've been talking about the mental fatigue, dog yeah. days, all these derogatory comments that happen <laughs> when you play 162 right. games in 100, uh, 180 days, condensed right. schedules, not much time off. But I really think that that's going to invigorate these guys. You know, having those days off in September are huge. You've got yeah. some travel days. You're going from time zone to time zone. They only have one more West Coast trip. So these days off are paramount for these guys, not just to, you know, to, stay, to save their bodies. It's to save their mind. It's to prepare for what's coming. Because right. these guys are a well-conditioned machine getting ready for another postseason run, amazingly enough. Well, and that's the thing, too. You start thinking about some of these guys have been, I mean, it's not just they played a lot, you know, the regular season. They've been deep into the postseason every year. You know, you see that, I'm, Think you know, in, that. Ba- in basketball, you see that a lot where like the, the guys just season after season, instead of playing 82 games, they're playing, you know, 98, 100 games. Mm-hmm. These guys are, you know, going into the 170, 180 games a year, playing all the way into November now. <laughs> which is just incredible to me that Major League Baseball is stretching out into November. Um, but when you look at that, uh, you realize, man, a lot of these guys, these are guys are playing every year. They're going to the postseason. Hey, that's great. But at some point, you've got to figure that's just wearing them down. I mean, just like, ugh, another, you know. Yeah. So you'd need some time off, I would think. I mean, that's obviously we've seen – Dusty giving some time off to guys, you know, here and there as best he can. But you've got to have some of that. Yeah, and a lot of the reason they were able to give those days off is because you had Dubon and Diaz that were able to filter through the infield and give those guys days off. Now you have the days off in September. You have that week off basically after the season ends to get through the first round of the playoffs before they start to face their opponent in that DS. But, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting and it's exhausting. But these guys – it, it, what the hard part is is, you know, off seasons as you as you get older in your career, you know, the Altuves, the Michael Brantleys, and some of these guys, or even the Jordan Alvarez's, if they do have that issue with the wrist, they want to be able to correct that over the off season. Right. But when you're playing that deep into the season every single year, it's one thing to get into the playoffs and lose in the first round. Right, you're disappointed, but you have your whole off season. Right. You get to those championship series and then the World Series, which the Astros seem to do consistently, you're really starting to shorten that off season and the, the ability to recuperate and then train for next season is shortened. That's where it gets really tough. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And and you know, I think what's speaking of you just mentioned Mauricio Dubon, like how valuable has this guy been kind of mm-hmm. out of no it's really surprisingly. I don't I think he's kind of an under the radar guy but he's come in and just filled in wherever they needed him to he's gotten some quality at bats uh he's a light hitting guy but he's he's you know got some base hits and and uh sort of helped move the ball move the guys around the base paths um really and can play a lot of different positions on the field he and diaz have really been tremendously helpful for the astros i mean never mind diaz who's been hitting great (laughs) (laughs) Um, on top of everything else. But these guys have been hugely helpful. These bench guys have been a big deal, really. No, they've been massive assets for for Dusty Baker to be able to give these days off like we already talked about. And then you add in the actual ability that these guys have. Dubon's one of the better athletes, and he gets traded over here. And we just kind of you know assume that he'd be you know a nice role player, a little uh, you know side piece that you could kind of right. put in the game every once in a while, get, you know steal you a base, go first <laughs> to third, play a good defense. Now he's playing center field every time Justin Verlander's right. on the mound, and with you know with the issues that Jake Myers has found himself in trying to deal with, Dubon's actually become a guy that might be in center field yeah. in a postseason run. So don't be surprised by that. 
But his at-bats and the appeal, I think, when he came over from the Giants was the fact that he doesn't strike out. I know he's going to face some yeah. tough pitching. There's going to be swings and misses. But he, like you said, he's a guy that's able to go out there, make some adjustments, and, and do some fundamentally sound things to help this team win. I think that's the biggest key. Yeah, and, and by the way, uh, should the only person who should absolutely be in the lineup every time there's a lefty pitching is Chaz McCormick. I mean, right? this guy is destroying yeah. left-handed hitters right now. There should be Z. I mean, honestly, I'm at the point where it's like if they bring in a lefty reliever, I'm like immediately get Chaz McCormick in there. I mean, this guy's OPS is out of sight for, against against <laughs> lefties. I mean, you've got to put him in there as much as possible against any kind of left-handed hitting. Yeah, you've got to abuse it. You know, you're yeah. going to find these moments where guys are really swinging the bat well against a certain type of pitcher, whether it be the mix that he brings yeah. or if it's just that left arm, right arm. But you've got to abuse that fact. You've got to go throw him out there and build the confidence inside Chaz and continue that momentum because you're going to have guys that are left-handed throughout the course of the season, like yep. you said, whether it be a lefty specialist that you've got to come off the bench and face. But you've got to start preparing guys like Chaz and some of these other guys to be in situations that they're going to be in in the playoffs. Absolutely. And it, good news from the injury front, Lance McCullers return. Yeah. I mean, could we have could we have had a better outcome for his first? I mean, six scoreless innings, he looked as good as ever. Um his velocity was up to where it's supposed to be or everybody thinks it should be. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was just very impressive for his for his first game back. No, there, there were so many good things that happened with Lance McCullers out there. And I'm a guy, everybody's going to look, everybody before that start against the Oakland A's is like, oh my gosh, the rehab didn't go the way you wanted. <laughs> right. Are you kidding me? I could care less about the numbers. I want to yeah. make sure that a Lance McCullers is healthy right. and able to take the mound. And then hearing some of the comments after that last start he had with Sugarland was, I want to pitch in the big leagues. I'm healthy enough to pitch in the big leagues. That's when I know that Lance is in the right frame of mind because yeah. he's kind of got that, you know, that bulldog mentality. Yes. He wants to be the guy. He wants to be on the mound. But then you find a, an opportunity to, you know, get your first start of the season and debut against the Oakland A's, who can't hit spin to save their life. <laughs> no, and then cannot. Lance goes out there <laughs> and just spins him to death. Goes six does. shutty. Yeah, it's amazing. But it was also encouraging to me, too, to see Lance, you know, coming off the forearm strain. Sometimes it's the yeah. it's the breaking ball. It's the slider that can create right. the issue. But he went out there and spun it like crazy and looked great. Like you said, a little vintage uh, Lance McCullers. Yeah. It's good for his confidence, and it's also good for the confidence of the fans to know he's out there healthy. Well, we you know, we talked a little bit about that, about the over sort of micromanaging of his numbers in, in the minor leagues. And ah. the fact that a lot of it was him just doing a spring training thing, you know, figuring yes. out what his pitches were going to be. You That's mentioned his bull, his bulldog attitude. It sort of reminds me a little bit of Mike Hampton back in the day. Mm-hmm. That just sort of intensity, you know, that kind of de- de- like really controls the mound, you know, has that sort of... It's like attitude. a defiance. Yeah, yeah, there is. And and I think, the, you know, that's a thing that I've felt. Like the Astros, most of their guys are, are pretty laid-back guys. I mean, even their, <laughs> even their big – look, Jordan Alvarez, Kyle Tucker, none of these guys are going to be confused for motivational speakers, right? I mean, they're just <laughs> they're just chill. And, and that's great because, you know, they're Bagwell Biggio-like in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, that sort of even keel. You know, it's a long season. So they need a, a few fiery guys in that. You know, I felt like that was one of the things that I was concerned when Springer left was that yeah. kind of took away some of that, that you know, Club Astros kind of, you know, fun and, and intensity. And that energy. And Lance McCullers certainly has that. He's got that sort of intensity and that, you know, and it's, it's great to see him doing that again. 
Yeah. No, you've got to be prepared when you're around Lance, I think. Even some of the dugout shots that we get, you know, he's constantly talking to somebody or yeah. looking at an iPad and, and chatting it up. So the energy level's there consistently. But I do agree with you in the sense that you kind of have the these workman-like attitudes. That's what, you know, Baggy and Biz were those guys. They had that certain intensity, but it was just yeah. – it, it was kind of funneled differently through the game where they were – it was hustle, it was great plays, it was big at bats, and they didn't really fist pump. They just kind of had that quiet confidence about them, but there still was that energy inside of them that they kind of channeled a little bit differently. Yeah. But it's kind of fun to watch guys that go out there, especially this day and age where there's so much on let them play and yeah. some of the energy. But Lance is one of those guys who's kind of fearless when he's out there, not with just his stuff, but with his <laughs> attitude too. Well, I mean, I'll never forget that, you know, I'm right here. <laughs> It's like stand there yelling at the guy. It's like I'm right here. It's yep. like that kind of stuff. You just you can't. Well, so Bagwell and Biggio, the, the obviously notorious for that even kill. Behind the scenes, were they the same? I mean, were these guys, or were they more vocal and more on top of guys and and that sort of thing? Uh, Bidge was a little more vocal. He, he'd chirp a little bit more, you know, in the dugout or in the clubhouse if he felt mm-hmm. something wasn't uh, being handled appropriately or if he had a thought, he was definitely going to give it to a guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes more often than not, it was to a rookie, but uh, yeah. that was a good thing because, you, you know, you got to. I'm not going to say you got to teach these guys how to play, but you have to help them understand that there's a certain expectation of professionalism when you go out there and play every single right. day. And that's what Bidge and Bag had from playing you know playing with the generations before them in those yeah. late 80s teams that had such great talent on it but uh, baggy was baggy was different in the sense that he was he was vocal but he wasn't vocal in a, in a crowd atmosphere he would just kind of pull you off to the side you know mumble something in your ear and you, your ears would kind of per- perk up and you'd be like okay yeah yes sir mr bagwell and you'd move on you know <laughs> right. but uh, baggy wasn't one of those guys that was going to expose you or bury you in front of guys he had a great deal of respect for everybody in that clubhouse and he'd just kind of pull you off to the side and be like hey you know next time let's hustle that ball out let's, let's show a little more effort you know it doesn't take too much to just put your head down and run hard through the bag kind of thing yeah well bagwell is just a different cat altogether anyway i mean he's yeah he just his personality is so different that's why he's good you know with you guys on the broadcast and stuff like that he just he has that real sort of dry low sense of humor and yeah, uh and and just fascinating insight you're speaking of the a's like how bad they are against spin my goodness but <laughs> I, the Astros have not been good against the A's this year. I mean, they were it was six and six until this series, and now they go out and win three in a row. So they'll they'll now probably capture the season series against the worst team in the AL West, one of the worst teams in baseball. Phew. What is it about? Like, first of all, they're getting Tony Kemp to death, which is like Yo, you know, gosh, I always feel dude, like there's some, some revenge at bats. There's, I feel like there's some Astros revenge at bats, definitely. But some of these, it's just they feel it feels like that's one of those teams that you just there. It seems like there are certain teams that always catch you know oh, yeah. good teams and just you can't seem to shake them. Uh, they feel like one of those. No, they, they definitely are, and I, I keep telling Todd every time we go on. If I have a broadcast with the Oakland A's. I sit there and I'm like, how the heck am I supposed to explain what's going on when I don't even understand what's going on? Because it doesn't make sense. We always talk about the Astros flipping the switch, playing great against, you know, some of the tougher teams in the league. Right. And then all of a sudden they, you know, they, they change the page and the Oakland A's are standing over there and it's like they're kryptonite. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but uh, you know, fortunately, they kind of shed a little bit of that and swept that yeah. series. But it almost felt like in that series, just watching, there was a little little extra edge to them saying, I okay, wondered that too. Enough for getting kicked around let's 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 beat these guys prove who we are and move on because 
if if you and I are frustrated, right. I can't even imagine how frustrated those guys were. Well, I you, you make a really good point. I'm glad you said that because it felt that way to me too. It felt like the, the there was a little more sense of urgency because they didn't really just beat them; they kind of manhandled them, and and yes. it, and that was something you didn't really see in some of the games earlier this season. And I, this just felt like one of those where they didn't. This they were like, okay, we're not going to waltz into this one and just <laughs> astro them out of the park, right? We're gonna, you know, we're not going to beat them with mystique. Let's go in there yeah. and actually beat these guys down because they're not a good team. And like you said, how can a whole team not hit breaking pitches? I mean, dude, it's I don't just know. Unbelievable! I've never seen anything quite like that. Where they just, I would never throw them a fastball. I throw them yeah. all breaking pitches, all off speed. Yeah, and I might tell them what's coming. I'd be like, "Hey, dude, I'm throwing you a curveball right now. I dare you to hit it." And they <laughs> right, can't. exactly. Here comes the deuce, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And when you speak of me, speak well. Um, yeah. uh, so it's unbelievable. Well, in the Astros' defense, playing in the Coliseum sucks. So at least they, the rest of their games with that sweep happening at Minute Maid Park, the rest yeah. of their games are at Minute Maid Park. Thank yeah. God. That place, how terrible is that place? I've actually Bad. never been in it before, don't. but I've heard it. <laughs> don't, don't, don't <laughs> Then with no. with, the, with like the trombones too, and all just. I mean, was there like three thousand people a game in that thing? Yeah, you know what was crazy? We we went through that road trip where we had I think uh, four, three or four games in Seattle, and then three games mm-hmm. in Oakland. And the the first game against Seattle drew more than the three game series total in uh, Oakland and it was you know it was 7000 people it was 5000 people i mean that is just it's a dead zone people are frustrated out there the 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 building is dilapidated and is turned into an environment that breeds rodents consistently i mean it's really? there is nothing good about that place i know the surface is pretty good the batting eye is good if you want to go to that extent but i've even heard astro pitchers say that that mound is just not something that they're comfortable throwing off of so there's no reason to go back to that stadium ever Oh, that place is awful. I, you know, yeah. it's the only good thing about it is the weather. Other than that, it's just like yeah, that's there's the only n- saving grace, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. So this past weekend, another thing happened, and that was Hall of Fame weekend for the Astros. Mm-hmm. Um, they honored Terry Poole and Tal Smith. Uh, you know, one of my guys was was there, Cesar Cedeno, who was my Dude. idol growing up. I let you know. I was telling somebody on Twitter who said he used the Cedeno batting stance when he was in little league and i was like i favored the jose cruz myself you know with the high above that was the more head, fun kinda, you know it's just yeah. so you know but Big uh kick. but i loved cesar Cedeno when i was a kid i loved watching him play this five tool guy and listening to some of the interview stuff he's still pretty fascinating quite a character did you get a chance to talk to him at all Oh, you know what? The the year he got inducted, we actually had him in the booth, and oh, TK and I were like, wait, man, hold on, don't leave. You know, you want to sit there and continue to talk to him because you're right. He's still sharp. He He's still watching the games. He's still engaged, and then you start to go back and look at what he actually accomplished oh, on the yeah. field, and a lot of the stories I heard about Cesar Cedeno was from Alan Ashby, and right. Ash would just gush over him and say, this guy was one of the best athletes I've ever seen, and you consider that era that Ash played in and some of the guys right. he played with with and against and you're going really and then you start to see the video you start to pull up the baseball reference page and you're going damn this guy could get it done i mean he's a 2020 guy in the astrodome in the astrodome 
yeah, I can't comprehend that. And it was kind of funny. We sat him down. And we're like, hey, Cesar, what would you do in a ballpark like this? He's like, Poppy, I'd have 40 home runs every year in this place. So he, he was a lot of fun to watch. And then you, you mentioned Terry Poole, who's another yes. phenomenal human. Tremendous. And he actually told the story of how he started to play the outfield with the Astros because they moved him out there because Poole was a great athlete too. Mm -hmm. But he credited Cesar Cedeno for making him a better outfielder. So you have the five tools, and then you add that sixth sense of having that baseball savvy and awareness, and it just makes that legend of Cesar Cedeno grow. And I I love him. He's a great guy. I used to watch those games with him. I I was really young at that point before he left. and But, man, watching some of those teams back then... Uh, he was just remarkable as a player. Like he, he's the guy that I always tell people. Mm-hmm. Like when I watch uh, great athletes of any kind, I want to see the best guys. I want to see the guys that have that super talent because yeah. I can't do it. Right? I don't have the ability oh, to yeah. dunk a basketball. You know, I can't. You know, I I can't hit a home run. So I want to see guys who can because it's incredible. It's impressive and amazing. And he was one of those guys. What's Hall of Fame weekend like over there? Is it's got to be really fun because there's a lot of guys coming back. And of course, you yeah. have a lot of history with the franchise. It, it must have been really cool to see a lot of those guys. No, it, it's really good, and, it, and you know, for fans and for myself, it kind of reinforces you know how great this organization has been since it's been in, in existence. And you know, a lot of credit to Reed Ryan for starting this process, yeah. getting that Hall of Fame going. Uh, he he was a real driving force behind that. So you got to appreciate what the Ryan family's been able to do yeah. to get this thing going. And now you start to get these guys coming around the ballpark a little bit more, and it means the world. Not it means a world of fans because yeah. I've found since broadcasting with the Astros that this generational you know thing is real. Yeah, and it's the people that showed up at the dome, started to show up at uh, you know Minute Maid Park, but now they're bringing their kids, mm-hmm. and now you're starting to listen to voices and see players, and you're starting to develop this relationship and this bond between organization and city. And Tal Smith said it too. This has become a very very good baseball city because of the way the guys play, because of the way the fans respond. But now you're having these guys come back. And one thing I've noticed, there's been a common theme with every guy that's come back. They love coming back and talking about their time with the Astros. And that's what kind of reinforces how special this moment is. It's one thing to get recognized and be in the Hall of Fame, but I really think that there is a true sense of pride when these guys know that they're in the Astros Hall of Fame. It's been a lot of fun, man. I that's, love that weekend. That's super cool. You know, I, one of the things that I've realized, too, as I've gotten older, and you see this with with uh, athletes, celebrities of any kind, is that when you do get a little bit older, it doesn't feel like as big a deal to talk to these guys, right? I mean, it still is. Yeah. You still feel sort of awed by their presence, but they're long retired. You know, they're they're kind of just now they're grandfathers and whatever else, and they're enjoying their lives. And so when you when you have a chat with them, it's it's not as as like when you're a kid and you're intimidated by it all. And you can really just yeah. a lot of these guys are so nice and so down to earth and they're so happy to talk about it you know they love yep. talking about playing sports and that's the thing that you know as a fan as someone who grew up as a fan um and was fascinated by all these guys it's really nice to be able to just say hello to somebody i remember one the first time i met calvin murphy who was another one of my one of my kid idols i used to carry his basketball card around in my in my back pocket when i was oh, wow. like in middle school right and I, I, I met him at an event. It was in, somebody introduced me, and I said, you know, Mr. Murphy, I used to carry 
your basketball card around with you in my back pocket. I, I don't know if I'll get another chance to meet you, so I feel like I need to tell you this. And he just looks at me and he says, man, don't start that old shit. <laughs> just like that. <laughs> and then immediately launched into a, just immediately launched into a discussion of how Allen Iverson should never win the MVP because he can't shoot 40% from the field. And he oh talked gosh, for like 20 minutes dude. straight. And it was absolutely spectacular. He was just so cool. And like, yeah, exactly. He's like, Dude, I don't want to talk about me. Let's talk Let's about talk that. About, <laughs> so exactly. Funny. And he just, he was just so cool and so easy to deal with. And it was a way of sort of setting me at ease. Like, hey, it's, I'm just another dude. It's all good. Mm-hmm. And there's something great about that. I met um, uh, Bob Watson uh, a number of oh, years wow. ago. And he was just, he was like such a perfect gentleman, you know, just like a, like almost, you know, almost otherworldly. And so when you meet these guys and you get to talk to them and they're so nice and so, cool like that it really makes an impression on fans and so it's great that the Astros are doing that yet yeah, kudos to Reed Ryan for putting that mm-hmm. together because that's a big deal for fans to be able to come and see these guys I have friends you know who were Astros buddies <laughs> back in the day and uh <laughs> you know it paired with Craig Reynolds or you know whoever it was and J.R. Richard and uh, just really super super cool stuff. So I'm I'm glad they're doing it. Did you was there anybody there that you got to talk to that you were particularly happy to talk to, or was it just all of them? Um, it it will. I'm obviously in a great spot because they're forced to, forced <laughs> to get in there and talk to me. So it's right. always good for me. Yeah. Uh, it was a lot of fun to get to talk to Cesar, uh, Kevin Bass. We had a chance oh, to yeah. have in the booth. Another, you know. It's kind of fun to talk to guys. It was really fun to talk to Kevin Bassel, just to pick out him individually, because he was a guy that I watched growing up, because with the Astros playing in the the National League West against the Dodgers, Padres consistently, so I grew up on the West Coast, I got to see these guys. So I became really familiar with some of those 80s right. teams that we all have. Yeah. And, uh, you know, knowing that Kevin Bass switch hit and played the game the way he did, there was, there was a little bit of a kinship between us as we started to talk and un- unfold and unpack what we were talking about. And, you know, he, he said, I, he goes, I appreciated your career. I'm like, Hey man, I appreciated your career. You know, and then you start to create that bond and that, that, that joy of the game in between each other. And then you start to get into some of the strategy and some of the nitty gritty of it and start talking about particular players. Wouldn't this guy be great here? Wouldn't this guy be a good fit? Or how, how about this situation? So, you know, that's what I really enjoyed. And watch, like you said, watching these guys from afar and now getting your, you know, so to speak, your hands on them a little bit yeah. and talk to them, you start to understand that their mind is still sharp about the game and yeah. why they were so good when they played because they had the talent at the time, but the brain right. was also in the right place, <laughs> right. which I, I truly appreciate. Well, man, also one of the all-time great mustaches, Kevin oh, Bass, dude. one of just the all And he showed time. up in the booth without it. Oh. I was looking at him, I'm like, what happened? Oh, yeah. man, you can't take that caterpillar away from a guy, man. No, that thing dude, is that, strong. That upper lip was... <laughs> genuine legendary yeah did, did you see the video that they they somebody posted recently where they uh when he was a rookie they drove his truck into the oh, stadium no. and pretended that it was a giveaway <laughs> oh, <laughs> one of the other players like drove it into the stadium and he's just like staring off at it like what the hell yeah, is happening happening <laughs> they just just to oh, mess my. with that's it not, that's not nice that's not right that's not right if anybody could handle it it's certainly uh it certainly is kevin bass well, that's going to do it for this uh, episode 11 of uh, the Believe in Astros podcast. Uh, Blummer, thanks so much as always. I know everybody oh, can man. find you on Twitter and Insta. Uh, Blummer27, I believe. 
And uh, you can find oh, yeah. me, Jeff Balke, J-E-F-F-B-A-L-K-E, um, on there as well. Blummer, what you got going? You got a couple more games in Chicago, then off to Atlanta, right? Yeah, it, it'll be fun because, you know, we got two more games. Hopefully the Astros can split the series. They haven't lost a series on the road yet this yeah. year. or Well, they've lost that uh, series against the Oakland A's. I keep bringing them up. I choose a selective memory <laughs> to get them out of the way. But they haven't lost but, a road trip, right? They haven't, yeah, they, they haven't, haven't lost a road trip. That might yeah. be the better way to put it. But uh, hopefully they can salvage these last two games in uh, Chicago before they go to Atlanta. And the big news about Atlanta, I've never been to the new stadium, so I'm kind of oh, looking forward to that. That place is – I drove past it. I haven't been in it. I've heard it's uh, amazing. It's incredible from the outside, I'll tell you that much. It's That and the, the Mercedes-Benz Dome or whatever it is that where the Falcons play too. It's some incredible oh, – yeah. just some incredible stadiums. Well, get yourself some chicken and waffles while you're there. Uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> look, I, I'm just going to live vicariously through you via food. That's basically every yes. place you go. I'm going to be like, all right, here's what I need you to eat on behalf of me. I, <laughs> I, I have no problem doing that. It's my pleasure. All right, Blummer. We will talk to you next time. Thanks, everybody. Go Astros. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.